0: Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come into your presence this morning. And we thank you, Father, for giving us your word. Father, we are living in momentous times. And this morning, we are seeking wisdom from the source of wisdom. So, Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to closely apply the reading of your word in our lives, that we might know Jesus better. We thank you, Father, for it's in his name that we ask this. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, as you all know, is kind of at the center of Bible prophecy, and the center of end-time events. Matthew, the 24th chapter is where the disciples come and ask Jesus, what will be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus there outlines all of the great events that would transpire right before the second coming and the end of the world. Verse 7, Jesus says something that I think is particularly interesting for us to think about this morning. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, the Bible says, for nation shall rise against nation. Are we seeing that today? And kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Not just Seventh-day Adventists, but every thinking man and woman on the face of this earth can see that there is something peculiar that is happening. We are seeing these natural phenomena happening on a more frequent and greater scale. Not only are there earthquakes, but there are large earthquakes. Not only are there famines, but there are huge famines. There are great things that are happening in this world, and people are thinking there is something That is going on. This morning, I want you to particularly think about one thing that's going to launch us into our study this morning, and that is Jesus tells us in the last days that there would be famines in the world. According to some statistics, somewhere around 36 million people will die this year from a lack of nutrition. 36 million people will die as a, from a lack of nutrition. Some statistics state that on an average, one child under the age of five will die every five seconds from starvation. In the course of our 45 minutes together this morning, as we spend time studying the Bible, approximately 540 children will die from starvation. Jesus says that there would be famines in the land. Now, you know, living here in the United States, we're not really, we don't really feel the effects of this. You know, some people can, make, uh, can, can, can provide for themselves from digging trash out of dumpsters. There's enough food that gets thrown away where they can provide for them. We don't feel it here in North America that there's a famine in the land. Jesus says that this would be an indicator of his second coming, that people would die from starvation, and we're seeing that happen in a great way around the world. But we don't feel it so much here in North America. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that in North America, we have a different type of famine that is happening. Maybe it's not a famine of physical sustenance, but I believe that there is a great spiritual famine that is happening in this land. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 8. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8. And verse 11, the Old Testament minor prophet states this, Amos eight eleven, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a what in the land? A famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the what? The word of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even unto east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not what? There's a famine in the land. There's a famine in North America. There's a famine in the world that doesn't get as much popularity and publicity as the physical famine that we see. The physical famine is a terrible thing. It's a shame that anybody should have to die from starvation. But let me tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. The spiritual famine in the world today is much more grievous. For it has eternal implications and eternal results that could impact the kingdom of God in a positive or a negative way. The good news this morning is that God has given us food in abundance. Not just physical food that we're gonna enjoy here in just a few moments as we sit around our tables and enjoy a time of fellowship at the potluck table. But the Lord has given us spiritual food in abundance. Would you say amen? But there's a famine in the land. And I believe that there are people in our area, right around our church, who are starving for what we have. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings I would like to share with you an Old Testament story that will give us some advice and some encouragement. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 24. The Bible says this, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. Now, in Old Testament times, I think I've explained this once before, it was a common method of warfare for one city to besiege another city. And what they would do is The city that was besieging whatever city it was that they were besieging, in this case, uh, the Syrians besieging the Samaritans, the Syrians, they basically set up a city outside of the city of Samaria. Nobody could get in and nobody could go out. And oftentimes what would happen when they use this method of warfare is that the city would deteriorate from the inside out. There was no food coming in. There was no water coming in. There was no fresh supplies coming from the outside inside the city. And so often the city would succumb, it would fall from a lack of food. In fact, the word besiege means to shut in. And at this time in the kingdom of Samaria, there's a very wicked king that was reigning at the time. King Jehoram, son of Ahab wicked king. And this particular king had set up idols for people to worship. The people inside of Samaria were far from where they needed to be in their relationship with the Lord. But the Bible goes on in verse 25, and it says this, and there was a great, what? There was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. There was a famine in the land. The Encyclopedia of Medicine defines starvation this way. Starvation is the result of a serious or total lack of nutrition needed for the maintenance of life. And this was what was going on in the city of Samaria. They were so malnutritioned. They were so hungry that they were eating things that were not fit for human consumption. They were going around the city, scraping up the pigeon droppings of birds that have flown over the city. They were gathering them, and instead of fruits and vegetables and grains being sold at the market, there were jars of pigeon droppings that people were spending their hard-earned money on to get something to fill the void. There were donkey's heads, and I think it's pretty Pretty plain that there's not much flesh inside of a donkey's head. And this wasn't a donkey that was, that was fattened at the slaughter. This was a donkey who had died from starvation himself. And they hacked the head of that animal off. And they took it down to the market. And somebody spent their money to put that on their dinner table. There was a famine in the land. And something interesting has occurred to me as I've looked at this story a number of times, and it's this. When somebody is starving, they will eat just about anything. Does the story not illustrate that? When somebody is starving... They will eat just about anything, and you will see it in the world. People who are malnutrition, they scrape up what they can to get sustenance. I remember talking to a man one time who eventually ended up starting a ministry down in Haiti. He was down there visiting, and he saw one of the street boys licking the tire of a trash truck. When somebody is starving, they will eat just about anything. And these pictures touch our hearts. But I want to tell you something this morning, friends. Spiritually speaking, it is no different. When somebody is spiritually starving, they will believe just about anything. There's a famine in the land. There is a famine of hearing the word of God. The Word of God has largely been removed from many pulpits in North America today. And in its place has come entertainment. And things of that nature. There is a famine in the land. And when there is a famine, people go to extraordinary lengths to supply their need. And there is a need in the world today. A need that only God and his word can fill. And the good news this morning is this. That God has given to us his word. But what are we doing with it? It would be a shame for anybody to withhold food from somebody who is starving. And it's a shame for us to withhold our spiritual food from others who are starving to hear the word of God. The story goes on. Verse 26, the Bible says this, it goes further. I think it's bad enough that they're eating bird droppings and donkey heads. But the Bible goes on and it says, And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. This was a wicked man. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? The king said unto her, What aileth thee? And She answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and, I, and we will eat my son tomorrow. Are you ready for the next verse? Verse 29, so we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she had hid her son. There's a famine in the land. And when somebody is hungry, when they are starving, they will eat just about anything. And in this particular story, the natural affections that a mother usually has towards her children changed because there was this void in her stomach. There was a starvation that was happening inside of her. Her stomach had been grumbling from day after day. Her body was becoming weak from the lack of nutrition, and she could not have She did not have the natural affections of a mother towards her child. And it came to the point where it was so grievous of a burden that she was carrying that she actually went through with the hideous act of eating her own child. In Bible prophecy, we know that a woman is a symbol of what? A church. And so we have a church. We have two churches here. There's two women here in this story. And they are both starving. And as a result of their starving, who is the one that is hindered? Is it the parent or is it the child? And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. When churches are not hearing the word of God, oftentimes it's not the adults in the church that suffer, but it's the young people. We end up cannibalizing our young people because we don't have the spiritual walk with the Lord that we ought to have. We wonder why our churches today, we see young people leaving in droves, it's because they're looking for something that's genuine, that will change the lives of people. They're looking for something that has some sustenance to it. And I want to tell you something this morning, it's not just the churches on the outside that are susceptible to this, but we are susceptible to it also on the inside. And if we aren't having that daily walk with the Lord ourselves, giving our young people an example that is worthy of following, we may find that we will end up spiritually cannibalizing our young people. Lord forbid. Lord forbid. It's a terrible famine in the land. We've dwelt enough on the negative. But let's take a look at what happens. How does God help his people in all of this? Chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible goes on and it says, Then Elisha... Who was Elisha, by the way? Who was he? He was a prophet. Was he a mighty prophet? You know, he did some powerful miracles. So now Elisha comes on the scene. The Bible says this. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of who? The Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. Let me ask you a question. If you were a citizen of Samaria and you read in the evening news about what people were buying at the market, if you read in the evening news about the mothers who were eating their children, and then all of a sudden you heard Elisha say, tomorrow there will be food in abundance. Would you believe him? I'm not asking you to answer that question. I'm asking you to just think about it. Because what did Elisha say? Hear ye the word of Elisha? Uh -uh. He said, hear ye the word of the Lord. He said, yes, I know what's happened, but hear the word of the Lord. I can almost hear the citizens of Samaria saying, Elisha has lost his mind. He has not gotten enough food to be able to think properly. Hasn't he read? Hasn't he seen? Hasn't he heard about the terrible state of things here in Samaria? And now he's taunting us with the idea that there will be food at the average prices at the market tomorrow. But what does he say? Hear ye the word of the... Lord, there will be food in abundance tomorrow. Never doubt the word of God's prophet. Amen? Never doubt it. Even if it seems impossible that it could happen, never doubt the word of of God that is spoken through his prophets because when God speaks, God performs something. He acts on behalf of his people. Notice what the Bible goes on to say in verse 2. It says this, Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he, that is Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. So here's this dignitary of Samaria, this man who, who, who the king would go to for counsel, And he taunts the man of God. And he says, sure, this thing might happen if God opens up windows in heaven. Elisha says, listen, because of your unbelief, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. In fact, the Bible tells us, and you can read it later on if you want to, in verse 17 at the end of this man, was that when God performed this miracle, he was trampled to death. And that stands as a stark uh, warning to us to not ridicule and not disbelieve the word of God that is spoken through his prophets. This past week in our week of prayer, we had a document that we were reading through each night and there were many promises in there about how God is going to work on behalf of his people, how there's going to be great light that will shine out from God's church and how there will be a reformatory movement that will take place where hundreds and thousands of people will respond to the appeal of God's word. And I know the temptation is to sit here today and to think about times past about how the church was full of people and how there wasn't enough room for everybody to fit in here and now Now we look and we see that there's extra room. And the temptation is to think that it's just going to continue that way. But God's word tells us that he will fill his churches. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I believe the word of his prophet. What he says he will do. 2 Kings going on, verses 3 and 4, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. And there were four leprous men, these are the stars of the story, at the entering in of the gates, and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, that is the city of Samaria, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. Got four lepers here. These men whose bodies are decomposing on their skeleton. They're in great pain. They've been disfigured by this disease. And as they're sitting there, it's obvious from the Bible that they still have their mental capacity. And they're thinking to themselves, if we go into the city of Samaria, we're gonna die because there's a famine in there. They, can't have enough, they don't have enough food to keep themselves alive in there. They can't feed us. If we stay here in our little colony with our, our, our friends, we're gonna die here anyways. What do we have to lose? If the Syrians kill us, we're gonna die anyways. But maybe, just maybe, they might have compassion on us. And so these four leprous men in the middle of the night, they get up, and the Bible says this, verse 5, and they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was, finish it for me, there was no man there. Now, remember, when, when, when a city besieged another city, they would basically set up a city around that city being besieged. They had all of the modern conveniences, all the food, all of the entertainment. And there was, this was quite a barricade because they knew it would take some time. They would settle themselves in. They were going to be there for a while. And so they had everything they needed to enjoy life. And now these four leprous men, they come into the host of the Syrians. And what does the Bible say? There's not a what? For the Lord, verse 6, for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their what? You feel a miracle getting ready to be performed here? We serve a mighty God, amen? Does some pretty amazing things. So here you have these four, these four leprous men. They, they, they stumble into the camp of the Syrians, and everything is left just the way it was. Their horses are tied up. Their beds are made. Their clothes are neatly folded. There's money everywhere. There's food and beverages, everything they need to contain life. Entertainment, it is all there. Their tents, everything. Can you imagine if you were a leper and you stumbled into that? I mean, even in times of prosperity in the city, it's still pretty grim for somebody who has leprosy. And now he's stumbled into a makeshift city that has everything it needs to continue life, and they have it at their disposal. Can you picture these guys? They're running around, you know, drinking water, drinking wine. They've got wine stains on. their already stained clothes. They've got food all over their faces because they're just stuffing themselves with food. They're just having a heyday. When you're hungry... Food is awfully good, isn't it? And when you're starving, it really doesn't matter what you're eating. You're just happy to get something in your stomach. And these guys are having a good time. They're going around, they're eating, they're enjoying it. They're, 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 they're in heaven for them. And then once they get a little food in their stomach, their brains kick in a little bit more. And notice what it says in verse eight. And when these lepers would come to the uttermost part of the camp, They went into one tent, did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went, and what did they do with it? They hid it, and came again, and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went, and what? Hid it. What did they find? They found food, they found wine, silver, gold, raiment, they found all these things. And the Bible says that when they found it, they hid it. Now, I hope you're, you're catching the spiritual implications of the story. Leprosy in the Bible is oftentimes a symbol of what? Sin, right? Those who have leprosy, were sim- they, they were kind of stigmatized as sinners. So in a sense, you have four sinners that stumble upon this treasure trove of life providing food and everything else. They find the food or bread, which is oftentimes a symbol of Jesus, our Savior. They find drink or wine, which is a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was shed to remit. Our sin. They find silver, which in the Bible is, a, is symbolizes understanding. They find faith, which is a symbolic representation, or gold rather, which represents faith in the Bible. They find raiment, which in Revelation nineteen and verse eight, the Bible tells us is a symbol of the righteousness of Christ that He wants to place upon us. They found great truth, if you will. Did they not? Listen to me carefully. They found. The answer to the problem in the city. They found the answer to the problem in the city. And what did they do with it? You remember that song you used to sing in Crater Roll? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. You know, we teach our kids these songs, and as we get older, somehow we come up with excuses why we don't have to do what we've taught our kids to do. This is cannibalizing our young people when we do this, spiritually. They find all of this great stuff. They find the answer to the problem in the city, and they go and they hide it. And brothers and sisters, when we hide the truths of God's word, we are no better off than those four leprous men in the story that we are reading this morning. When we hide, when we hide the truths of God's word in our little sanctified uh, nest, in our home, in our church, at prayer meeting, whatever it may be, if we don't take that and share it, we're no better than the lepers. Because God has given to this church the message that is the answer to the need in the world today. The prophet of the Lord tells us that. But then something happens in verse 9, which is where we'll conclude this part of the story. You can read the rest of it later on if you choose to. Verse 9, the Bible says this. Then they said one to another, we do not well. What were they doing? They were hiding things, right? And And then they stop in their tracks and they say, hang on a second, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. In the center margin there, the word mischief is punishment, will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. Can you imagine this? I mean, listen, the city of Samaria, that, that, that twilight, people are sleeping in their beds, their tummies are grumbling. And in just a stone's throw away, right outside the city wall, there's food in abundance. There's everything they need to supply their wants, right outside. Yet nobody inside the city knows about it. There's only four guys that know the answer. There are only four guys. And you know, this thought has struck me that right around our church, if you will, There are people who have spiritual tummies that are grumbling. There are people who are become spiritually atrophied. They're becoming very weak. Maybe they can't spiritually walk any longer because they are not getting the nutrients that they need in their spiritual walk. But God has told some leprous people in the Seventh-day Adventist church that there's food at God's banquet table. What a crime it would have been for these men to keep it to themselves. And what a crime it is for us to keep it to ourselves. But I praise the Lord that you are part of a church that sees the value in public evangelism. I praise the Lord that we have a board in this church that sees the value in investing our money in public evangelism. Evangelism, in private evangelism, in friendship evangelism. As you saw a couple of weeks ago when we did our community service brainstorming session, you are part of a church that sees the need to get the message out because there's people who are weak and on the brink of spiritual death because they don't have the truths of God's word. We do not well, the leprous men said. This day is a day of good tidings. What's another word for good tidings? Good news or the what? Gospel, right? The gospel is good news. This day is a day of good news and we hold our peace. Let us go and tell the king's household. You know, I find it interesting. They didn't say, let us get a uh, newspaper ad to tell the king's household. Come on now. They didn't say, let us hire a a fancy printing company to send brochures into the city to tell everybody about this. No, 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 no. They said, let us go and tell the king's household. They didn't say, let's get a TV advertisement. No, they didn't do that. They went and gave a personal invitation. Did they not? They went and they opened their mouths and they told people, hey, there's all kinds of food out here. There's the answer to your problems are on the outside of the wall. If you just come, you'll see it for yourself. Now, again, you know I don't have any problem with using these forms of advertisement because they catch people on the perimeter that we don't have contact with to give a verbal invitation to. But today's the day that we have designated to go and invite our Operation Andrew list. And maybe you haven't had a chance to together a list yet. It's not too late because we still have a week before our seminar starts. But this next week is an opportunity that we have to go and tell the king's household that there is going to be food at God's banquet table. Every night during the Unlocked Revelation seminar, we're going to set up a table and we're going to lavish it with all of the spiritual food that is needed to maintain spiritual life. Would you say amen? Now, I know for some of you, this is old hat. You've been at this for a while. You've probably been at more seminars than I've been alive, some of you. But there are people in our community who have never experienced it in their lives. And we have the wonderful opportunity to go and tell the king's household that today is a day of good news. I find it interesting that the four leprous men were not ashamed of the message that they had, were they? They weren't ashamed of that. They weren't ashamed to go and tell the king that there was all kinds of food to be eaten. They weren't ashamed by the fact that their body was decomposing on their skeleton. They weren't ashamed by how they looked or how people perceived them. They were burning with a passion to help people who were in need. So the external didn't matter so much. They had a message that needed to be shared. And you read our scripture reading this morning about how Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Now, I want you to go with me quickly to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14, just very quickly. We're familiar with this chapter. We're going to be opening it up night night after night during the seminar revelation chapter 14 you know the promise that jesus gives in matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 just jot it down in your notes jesus says and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then what does he say will happen the end shall come what is the gospel that will be preached? What is the good news that needs to go to our king's household? What is it that people need to hear in this time of spiritual famine? The direct fulfillment of Matthew twenty four fourteen is Revelation 14, verses 6 through 14. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, this is the message that has to go to all the world, the Bible tells us. This is directly fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Doesn't that fill you with encouragement? That as we as we participate in unlock revelation, we're helping Jesus to fulfill Matthew 24:14. Amen. That the gospel is gonna go to the kingdom. What is that gospel? It's the three angels' messages. Same with a loud voice. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. That's part of the everlasting gospel. Worship him that made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Part of the everlasting gospel. And there followed another saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city which made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's the everlasting gospel. Verse 9, a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. That is the everlasting gospel. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the what? Commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the everlasting gospel. Verse 13, the Bible says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may what? Rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. This is part of the everlasting gospel that when somebody dies, they are sleeping. They have not gone to heaven. They have not gone to hell. It is part of the everlasting gospel that needs to be proclaimed with a loud voice. Verse 14, and I looked and behold. I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the white cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. The second coming of Jesus is part of the everlasting gospel. This is why we preach this in a Bible prophecy seminar. It's not because we have some sort of obsession with Bible prophecy. It's not because we have some sort of fascination with the books of Daniel and Revelation. No, the reason why we preach what we preach in an evangelistic series is because that is the everlasting gospel that needs to go to all the world to prepare, G- prepare them for the second coming of Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. There's good news this morning. In 1863, when the church was formally organized as a denomination, 1863, there was one Seventh-day Adventist for every 363,000 people. Did you catch that? In 1863, when the church was organized, there was one Seventh-day Adventist for every 363,000 people. Today... With 20 million members in our church, there is one Seventh-day Adventist for every 375 people in the world. Good news? Now, with those types of odds, we should be able to finish this thing up pretty quickly, shouldn't we? But let me tell you something this morning. Sheer numbers alone is not what is needed. We talked about this in our week of prayer, and I've mentioned it a number of times from this pulpit, and I'll probably mention it a couple of more times. It's not numbers that the Lord needs. God is not impressed with sheer number alone. God is impressed when we open up our hearts and say, not my will, but thine be done. There's a person I can use. 20 million selfish people cannot be used by God, but 12 unselfish people who are sold out for God can turn the world upside down. It's not numbers that we need. Now, if we have 20 million people who are unselfish and sold out to God, all the better. The world will definitely come to an end very soon. But all God needs is the Muskegon, Seventh-day Adventist church to turn this community upside down. And in fact, there is the spiritual potential within these walls of this church to not just affect our community, but for ripple effects to go outside of the Michigan Conference and out throughout the world if we want to. The potential is there. The Holy Spirit is not limited by the city limits of the Muskegon City. Would you say amen to that? But we can have a far, re- farther reach than just our community if we are sold out to our Savior. Go with me to your... Bibles uh, to our last passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, much more could be said about the everlasting gospel. I will let you fill in the blanks, or you can come to the Unlocked Revelation seminar, and you will hear all about it. Revelation, or sorry, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah tells us something that he heard. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know, I can almost imagine those four leprous men, same message was being given to them. Will you go and tell the king's household? They didn't have to. Who will go for us? It's no different today. The Lord is asking the same question. And in Isaiah, did he complain about how many people weren't going? Yes or no? Did he talk about the apostasy in Israel? Yes or no? Did he talk about all of the great hardships and the spiritual depravity and darkness that was upon Israel at that time? No. What did he say? Here am Here am I, Lord, send. You see, that's all that Isaiah could do. He can't send anybody else. He could encourage them to go. He could admonish them to go. He could prove to them from the Bible or from his visions that they should go. But he can't force them to go. The only thing that he could do is go himself. Let's not be discouraged by what's not being done but let's be encouraged by what I can do, amen? Wonderful opportunity today. We have lots of literature that's sitting on the back table. You don't have to go out this afternoon if you've got something else going on, but I pray that you will stop by that table, that you will pick up the literature, that you will go and tell the king's household this next week. Here am I, Lord send me. Maybe you can't walk very much, drive somebody else who can walk and pray for them while they're walking door to door. Maybe you don't have much time during the week. Fine, just take about 10 or 20 pieces of literature. The Lord will understand. Don't use these types of excuses for reasons why you aren't, but find reasons why you can. Find ways that you can help to go and tell the king's household. Don't let your physical limitations stop you from helping the advancement of the cause. God will bless whatever you can do for him this next week. So my appeal to you this morning is this. Maybe you might feel like a sinner. Maybe you might feel like those leprous men, outcasts of society, carrying the weight of sin upon their shoulders. What can I do to help God in his cause? I pray that you will take courage by the story that we read this morning. Those four men saved that city, and God can use you to save somebody. God can use you to save the city of Muskegon. It's all in what you want. So I pray this morning that you with Isaiah will say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send me somewhere. I'm willing to go. That's your desire. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we close with a word of prayer. Let the Lord know you are willing to go. Oh, Father in heaven, we feel unworthy to take this great work that you have given to us to do. But, Father, we are compelled with Isaiah to take care of our own business and to say, here am I. Send me. Father, guide us this next week as we seek to be about our father's business, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel that God has given to us, but that we would proclaim it with a smile on our face and with fervency in our hearts. Father, we want people to come to our Bible prophecy seminar. We have poured our hearts out to you this last week, and we will pour our hearts out to you this next week in the privacy of our own homes. But Father, there is a work that we cannot do and that is we cannot convict the hearts of men. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we go this next week, as we give the invitation, as we sound the cry that there is no longer a famine, I pray, dear Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to attend that message. Hearts would be touched and that lives would be saved because of the work That we are about to do. Thank you, Father. Use us, I pray. We ask it in the almighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org